chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning. And the goal this morning is a a large goal, but the goal is to get through uh, the entire chapter of chapter 2. And we'll see uh, how it goes this morning, if that's that's possible. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, If you don't know me, my name's Travis. And I'm, one, I'm the pastor here, and it's a joy to be here. If you are new, we've a little bit of recap. We've kind of went on a journey through the book of Ecclesiastes, and so far we've seen who's speaking, and that's Solomon. Am I ringing? No? It's just in my head, maybe. Uh, I have, I just, you know, voices in the head. Um, Who's, who's speaking? Uh, we've seen that this is at least about Solomon, and we've seen what, what does it profit, and under the sun there, there's no gain apart from God, and so uh, what's the payout we saw, and we really saw that uh, Solomon was just kind of catching smoke the whole time, and we had a box and illustrated just the, the uh, grasping for the wind that Solomon in, in, endured upon, and then we've uh, seen uh, what's with this wisdom. We saw last week how wisdom's a good thing. Uh, But uh, we shouldn't make it a God thing, and that wisdom is a good thing, uh, but we are to give glory to the Lord. And uh, chapters 1 and chapters 2, they'll kind of go hand in hand. They'll kind of tell a complete story. And so that's why we're going to try to go a little bit faster uh, this morning. I may go just a a little bit longer. I'm not usually known as a long-winded speaker, and uh, we'll see uh, if that's the case today. But there's a lot of material in here. There's a lot of verses Uh, And Solomon's going to kind of expand the search for more, if you want to say. And he'll kind of show us three experiences that I want to look at, summarize in chapter 2. And and he'll kind of end on a high note, but he starts on some pretty low notes. And chapters 1 and chapters 2, they seem kind of heavy, but we can kind of have two approaches through through this, uh, chapters 1 and chapters 2, because it can either uh, give light to the truth that we've already experienced, that we cannot find satisfaction under the sun apart from God, or it can be heavy and it can be a negative because we can see that, that there's no satisfaction in the, the way that maybe the world or our minds have trained ourselves to go pursue and pursue and search and search. Uh, we'll find that, that we'll never truly satisfy no matter what, and so it can a, appear to be heavy. And so for believers, there should be encouragement through the book of Ecclesiastes that we can, in fact, uh, have life and have life more abundantly through Christ. And chapters 2 will appear to be negative again, but for believers it's not. For believers it's positive because we'll find at the end that life can be enjoyed and, and life should be enjoyed and we can enjoy things in life with the people that we love and the experiences that God gives us for his glory. And ultimately it's the key of the perspective in which we're looking And so uh, what we find is that Solomon is essentially never content with the things that he's been given. And we can see kind of a correlation because we can see we've been there too. And and you can probably think of times in your life where you just weren't satisfied. And uh, even now there are things that are in our lives that we at one time begged God for and we now take for granted. Right, that, that, that spouse that, that we just needed, that relationship that we just needed, that job, that income, that, that healing, and uh, the, the passing through experiences from COVID, right? And that we just kind of now t- t- take, it, take it all for granted. And Solomon did the same. And so we're going to unpack chapter 2 this morning and see three experiences 
that he, he found under the sun. And so uh, let's read a verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. This idea of, of jo joy or gladness is what that word means. Therefore, enjoy pleasures. But surely this was vanity. A set of laughter, madness, and of a mirth, what does it even accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart in wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see that which is good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. And so what do you do? He said, I made my, great, I made my works great and I built myself houses and I planted vineyards and I made myself gardens and orchards and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself wa uh, water pools from which to water the growing trees of my groves. I acqu acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks and all those who were before me in Jerusalem. I gathered myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and providences. I acquired male and female singers and delighted in the sons of men with musical instruments of all kinds. Take a deep breath. That's a lot. He's, he's kind of just spitting out, quoting out things that he just has. So what happens next? So I became great. And I excelled more than all those before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained. And so, so I had, but I was also still wise. Whatever my eyes desired, verse 10, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold uh, my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward. Let's pray, and then we'll kind of dive into this beginning text. Father, Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for uh, just what you've accomplished. Lord, we thank you for, for yesterday, Pastor Ken coming back and just giving us the report of uh, all that God is doing uh, over in Le the Lebanon area, and Lord, we rejoice with that. Lord, we thank you for, for this place. We thank you for this church. We thank you for uh, these people. And Lord, I know that, that uh, you have uh, plans and, and dreams and goals for each uh, individual person in this room. And my prayer is, Lord, that we may uh, seek to dwell in you, that we may seek to live uh, Christ in us and Christ through us. And Lord, that you may receive glory uh, through the way that we live our lives. And Lord, may we reflect on what Solomon has experienced, and Lord, may we, may we realize that, hey, there's nothing there, but there's, there's truth that remains, that we can enjoy everything in our life to your glory. And may we understand that this morning, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. You could say this, Solomon's reward was a thrill, but it only lasted for a moment. And so there's three things that I want you to see. The first thing is this, he experienced his, his experience in pleasure. He's going to experience kind of three different things, and we're going to kind of summar summarize them and dive in a little bit in detail. But what we find is that he experienced pleasure. If you, if you like to circle in your Bible, circle that word pleasure, because the Bible indicates that Solomon gives himself this idea of giving yourself completely to this idea of pleasure. Look what it says. It says, uh, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, this idea of joy and gladness, therefore enjoy pleasure. But this was vanity. He was coming up short. But I have a question before we dive into pleasure. Who is the you that Solomon's testing? He says, I will test 
you. Well, the you is, is life. He's testing the life, and he's trying to find meaning and purpose in life under the sun. And so he uses pleasure to do that, and he tests it. He's trying to find something. But I want you to notice the word pleasure. Pleasure is the Hebrew word toab. And toab has many different forms of meaning. It means good. It means agreeable. It means, uh, it means pleasant to a higher nature, excellent of its kind, prosperous in the sensuous of nature. And this word toab, pleasure, is not vanity in and of itself. It's vanity in the way that Solomon uses it. Because if you look all the way down at verse 26, the very last verse of chapter 2, what you'll find is Solomon finds some clarity in Toab, that which is good. Because verse 26 will say uh, this. It says, God gives to a man that which is good. That word good is Toab. And so Solomon, verse, verse 1, it's used as pleasure, but it's the word Toab. Verse 26, it's used uh, as the English word good, but it's the same word, Toab. The difference is the way in which it's used. And so uh, pleasures is not vanity. Pleasures does not reach vanity. Living in light of pleasure reaches vanity. The way in which Solomon lives was what was vain, not pleasures itself. God meant pleasures to be enjoyed, but Solomon's approach is what can give me more, what can fill me more, and so it was vanity. He finds it vanity. And for the first time really in this book, we get some clarity at the end of the chapter. If you, wanna, or if you want that which is good in your life, if you want pleasure in your life, if you want to be uh, that which is Toab, where is it found? It's found in God. God gives to a man that which is Toab, that which is good. But notice Solomon's selfishness in this pursuit for pleasure. Because all throughout chapter 2, what we find is we find a similar word that links everything together I, right? He says over and over again, I, I did, I have, I accomplished, I searched, I made great uh, treasures, I made great works, I built great houses, I planted vineyards, I made gardens, I made pools, I acquired servants, I had servants born in my house, I gathered treasures, I acquired singers, I owned more herds, I owned more flocks than anybody else, I denied nothing, I am Great. In the whole chapter, he's saying, this is who I am. He, he has spent his life indulging himself in pleasures, and he's going to show us, verse 11, for what? That's what he's essentially going to show us. And this search for pleasure is what one would call this idea of hedonism. This is in this, this pursuit, it literally means the pursuit of pleasure. And so Solomon kind of lives this perspective, and he's showing you that if it feels good, do it. If, if, it, if it will please me, then I'm going to check it off my list. I'm going to try it out. And so Solomon lives in that way. Tim Keller will point out that, that this is chapter 2. And this is Solomon's living in this light after chapter 1, after he's already learned that, there's, there's no, there, it, that life is vanity under the sun. He's already learned life is vanity under the sun, and so he decides to, to turn to pleasures. And in a way, you can picture it as Solomon finds out that what's life worth? If life will essentially get me nothing that I wanted, then I may as well just enjoy it for a while. Then I may as well just live it up. Then I may as well just avoid reality. And so he's going to list off some things that he tries, and Solomon's going to search in some pleasures. And so he searches in some physical gratification, and he keys in on two of them, he says, of laughter. Look at verse 
uh, 2, it says this, I tried of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what's it accomplish? And Solomon tries to make his unhappy life happy through lightheartedness. And he finds that it just doesn't play out. But just like pleasure in of itself, Toab isn't bad. Uh, in, in the right context, neither, neither is laughter. In the right context, this is a good thing. Notice the word madness, or other uh, versions will say mad. It says uh, th this word, I'm going to butcher this Hebrew word, but it, it's something like hala, hala, something like that. You can look it up and pronounce it yourself. Uh, and, and same thing, that has different meanings. That can mean good or bad. That, that can be used for uh, praise or to be boastful. That can be used uh, to pronounce someone as good or to point out that somebody's acting a fool. The key is if it's being used in the proper place. And that's what we find as Solomon searches in these pleasures of life is, is the, are these things being used in the proper place in which God intended them to be used? Are these things being used for the glory of God or the edification of self? And Solomon uses things for himself and he's coming up short. Because I don't know about you, I'm glad that laughter is not a bad thing, right? I enjoy laughing. I've been known to laugh at bad times and great times. I've been known to make, actually I don't make very many people laugh, but uh, I like to hope one day I'll make people laugh. But even Friday night, we, uh, I was with some people, we were playing putt-putt, and we were just laughing the whole time. And I got in the car with my wife, and I said, you know, I kind of feel like I just wasted my time because I didn't really get to know anybody because I just laughed the whole time. We were just having a great time. But laughter is a good thing in the right context, right? And I believe God has a sense of humor too, right? Laughter is a good thing. Just look at the person next to you. God has a sense of humor, right? No, no, he doesn't. And if you laughed at that, that was a bad place, right? That's a bad context. No, God, laughter is a good thing in, in the right context. And so here uh, he simply lives for it. Proverbs 17, 22 says that a cheerful heart is a good medicine. And it's been proven by medicine that laughing does your life good in the right context in which you use it. And so the proper place, it's a good thing, but it just simply won't fill you. That's what Solomon is getting at. He said of laughter and of mirth, what's it accomplish? And he finds no point because he's using it in the wrong place. It doesn't serve in the proper place in which God intended it for. So he's like, what's it accomplish? Uh, nothing. It's vanity. And we see this in uh, some of the people whose jobs are to make us happy. Right, some comedians and different things of this day will, will announce publicly how miserable their lives are. Jim Carrey has said in an interview that if he's not on pills, then his life is just empty and he finds no meaning. I'm paraphrasing what he says, of course. Ellen DeGeneres has spoken of her battles of emptiness and depression. Of course, you know, guys like Robin Williams who had, who had ended his life because of the struggle of depression. Why? Because lightheartedness is a good thing in the right context, but it won't fill you. And that's what he finds. And so he turns to wine. Verse 3, this idea of total intoxication and numbness. He says this, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see that which is good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. And I'm not going to uh, really spend my time to, to talk about the substance 
of this issue because this is not the context in which he's using it. What he essentially says is that Solomon has the indication that Solomon wants to abuse the substance to kind of numb himself and lift himself out of emptiness, but he simply could not. It simply was not the intended purpose for that, and so Solomon could not find it there either. And I think it's by no accident that, that God uh, sovereignly put these two things in there, laughter and, and wine, because so often this was the, the easy thing to go to then, and it's so often the easy thing that people go to now to kind of numb the pain. Let's just, just be lighthearted and enjoy life, or let's just, uh, let's just uh, go waste life and, and just go abuse life. And we see these two ideas, and Solomon's essentially saying, hey, uh, th that, that's not going to cut it. There's just no feeling there. And so Solomon would find pleasure, but he'd find no fulfillment because he was using these things in the wrong context. He was using these things outside of the proper place in which God had intended them. And so he finds no meaning, so then he turns to another thing. And so we're going to skip uh, to, to uh, get this idea of physical pleasures down to verse 10 because the Bible will say next that he denied nothing. So he tries lightheartedness, he tries uh, total numbness and intoxication, now he's going to try where he just denied nothing. Verse 10 says it uh, this way, physical pleasures, whatsoever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold anything that my heart had pleasure for. What does it say? Solomon, he did what he wanted. If he wanted to do it, he did it, and that's just what it was. He said in verse 3, uh, we didn't hit this part. He said in verse 3, see that which is good for the sons of men to do. What's that mean? That's the mindset of if this is all there is, if this is all that life offers me, then I may as well experience it all. I may as well do all that the sons of men have offered to do. I may as well indulge and, and check it off my list so I can just experience it all if this is all there is. And that was the mindset in which that Solomon lived. And so he looks to physical pleasures. And the Bible says he denied nothing. And of course, we know one of the problems that Solomon had was sexual pleasures. And 700 wives, 300 concubines. A concubine is essentially there, 300 women to just do whatever Solomon pleases. And he had this problems, and so Solomon will turn to physical pleasures and will say this, hey, it may be right in the, right, in the proper place, but it doesn't fill you. It will not satisfy you. And we live in a world that will tell you, hey, if it feels good, do it, live it up for a while, but that's just a gross misconception because there's a lot of things in our life that feel good in the moment but will absolutely devastate our lives. And Solomon shows us that picture. I would love this week just to take off work and just uh, keep my phone right here and everything right here and just go out with a couple buddies and swing a golf club all week and just show up here next Sunday. But the problem will be I'll have a lot of fun, but, but the problem will be uh, I, I will get up here on Sunday morning and have no clue what to say, even worse than now, and I'll get here and my wife will see me for the first time all week and, and like that will not be good, right? I would have a lot of fun that week. But it would devastate some things in my life because it's not used in the proper place. And so he turns and he's going to look for pleasures and power. Look at verse 4. These pleasures and powers can be summarized in three categories. Projects, positions, and parties. Projects, positions, and parties. So projects, verse 4, he says this. I built myself houses and I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of my grove. Solomon is just 
listing off his project accomplishments. And Solomon was a fascinating project builder. Solomon was the guy who built the temple for the Lord in 1 Kings 5 and through 7. Solomon was the guy who built his own house that took 13 years to build, right? Uh, your house, if you build it, it, takes 8, 9 months. Solomon, 13 years. And it was bigger than the temple itself in 1 Kings 7. Solomon built houses and high places for his wives. Solomon built entire cities in 2 Chronicles 8. Solomon had it all, and he's listing just things that Solomon had accomplished, and Solomon did. I want you to notice the word, all kinds of fruit trees in them. I think that's a fascinating word because that phrase is used in the creation account three different times. Where Solomon is literally, uh, in a way, creating the most beautiful garden since Eden. It's using even the same, same words, Genesis uh, 9, Genesis 11, Genesis 1, 11, Genesis 1, 29, and I think 2, 9 will use these, these exact phrases. And it's just fascinating that Solomon's projects are just fascinating, but they would crumble. Because it didn't fill you. There's no meaning there. And Solomon had projects beyond all others, but he would take things and use them for that which he could control instead of allowing God to control him. And projects would fail so he would turn to possessions. Possessions, notice verse 7 and 8. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yea, I had greater possessions and herd and flocks than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I gathered my, for myself silver and gold and uh, special treasures of kings and of providences. He had possessions above all others. We don't have time to get into all that Solomon had. But he's just saying, hey, I had a lot of stuff. I could snap my fingers and it would happen because I'm that guy. I have that power. They say that Solomon had over 30,000 employees or, or servants. You're crazy? Uh, IU, for example, has about 10,000. St. Francis has three or 4,000. And Solomon, 30,000 employees and servants. Solomon had it all. The Bible says that he was given gold and treasures from kings and providences. I mean, he, he just was given stuff all the time, taxes and tributes given to Solomon because he had whatever he wanted. But that just didn't fill you. And so he turns to parties and to entertainment. Notice verse 8 and 9. I acquired male and female singers, and I delighted in delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great, and I excelled more than all those who were before me in Jerusalem, and also my wisdom remained with me. And so nothing really was hitting the point that Solomon was trying to make, the fulfillment that Solomon was trying to achieve, and so he keeps just flipping the page, right, trying something else, hobby after hobby, entertainment after entertainment. He dwells in here on this life of entertainment and partying. And in 1 Kings 8, it'll tell you a story of Solomon's uh, parties that he threw. I don't have time to get into it, but I'll just show you, uh, I'll just tell you what he served at his parties. A massive party, invited everybody in the land, and this is what he served, 22,000 cows. Now, not pounds of cows, but cows, 22,000. And for some reason in that meeting, he thought that wouldn't be enough. And so he said, hey, let's provide 120,000 lamb too. That, that's a massive party. First Kings also say that his cups were made of gold. Like we have Spotify and Apple Music. Solomon has an orchestra at his beckoning call. Whenever he wants it, he had it all. But here's what he says, possessions, pleasures, they may be good in the right context, but they won't fill you. 
They may be pleasant to the eye, but they won't fill you. And so the end of verse 10, it says this, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And so here's the results. For my heart rejoiced, and this was my reward. What was his reward? This is it. He got to enjoy it. He had a good time. This kind of indicates that Solomon's focus was that pleasures was all that there is, and so he lived in that light, and he says, hey, I just, I just wasted it. Verse 11, it's, it's, it's grasping for the wind again, right? David, come back up here. We'll catch some more mist because it just doesn't cut it. And so he turns to the next thing. It kinda, I kind of get the picture of, you know, when, you, when I'm not a great cook or anything, but when you uh, are, are cooking a, a nice steak and you're, you're, is it searing it or, no, uh, dicing it or whatever, putting the, the grease and stuff back onto it and you're mixing it around and you put it on the table and you're just real proud of yourself. You take a picture of it to send to your parents and then you're about to eat. And then once you finish eating, then, then there's a problem. You have to clean it all up. And then a couple weeks later, you're going to forget about it. And that's kind of the mindset that I get, that Solomon has enjoyed his time, but he's coming to a place that, he's, that he forgot about it because it just simply didn't last because he lived in that light. And if we're not careful, we can look at this and we can, we can view God as God's just a killjoy. God doesn't want me to have fun. God doesn't want me to have pleasure. Then, I, then God just wants me to sit there and be good and that's it. No, no, no. God will find in Ecclesiastes, he wants us to enjoy life to the fullest, but to his glory. And we can do those things, and we'll see later that he wants us to do that. Pleasure is a good thing, but it's, if it's made into a God thing, it becomes an entrapping thing. And if we're, as, if we're Christians, we know that, that we can enjoy life to the fullest, to the glory of God. But the only true meaning of fulfillment can be found in Jesus. And so our mindset shouldn't really be what will get me more, what will gain me more, what, we, what will please me more, but how can I live my life to the glory of God? And the Bible will say we can enjoy all things to his glory, but he couldn't in pleasure. So he looks to, secondly, success. That was my longest point, so don't worry. Verse 11, it says this. And then I looked in all the works and my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed it was vanity and grasping for the wind. There it is. There's no profit under the sun. The wise, uh, the end uh, of the wise and the fool are the same. So I turned to myself to consider wisdom and to consider folly. Because all the success that I've ever achieved apart from God is coming up short. It's, it's empty and so what can a man do that comes after the king? That's what he says next. Some people, some commentaries will indicate that Solomon appears a little proud in this moment, kind of cocky. But, but, but many others don't. They, they see sincerity here. That he authored much of the Proverbs where he's encouraging his son in wisdom. And so, so I, I kind of see that too. You can take it however you want to take it. But, but I think, hey, son, don't try to outdo me, not in a brush your shoulders off type of way. But, but son, don't go down this trap. Don't do this. And so Solomon encouraged his son in, in wisdom, but he lives his life in a different light. And he's not saying, son, let me show you the way. He's saying, son, don't go down the path that I went. And so we'll see how that works out a little bit later. Because then he says, I saw wisdom excels folly as, as light excels darkness. Wisdom's better than foolishness. And uh, this is the same guy who Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son, a wise son makes a glad father, but a, but a foolish son is a grief to the mother. That he, I believe verse 12, he's saying, hey, son, don't do this. It's not going to be worth it. 
I'm trying to give you wise instruction to the way that I live. But sadly, Rehoboam may follow his example and not his words. Because he says, a wise man's eyes are in his head, but, they're, but a fool walks in darkness. You may remember uh, your, uh, telling your kids or even your parents, say, use your head. I get the same kind of idea out of that. Why? Because uh, foolishness, uh, you walk in darkness, but but wisdom, you walk in light. Proverbs 4 will indicate, hey, if you're wise, you're going to be able to see potential pitfalls that are around you because you can see. You have have wisdom there. And so he says, uh, then he says, yet I perceived. Wisdom's better than foolishness, but here's what he found under the sun. The same event happens to them all. And so Solomon comes, yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. So he asks the question, so why am I wise? Why, God, did you bless me with wisdom if the same event happens to the full? And what we find is that Solomon is viewing the blessings of God from how can I benefit from them, not how how can God receive glory with them. It was all, Solomon's life was all about, God, how does this affect me? How does this help me? And how can this, how can this move me forward in this life? Not, God, how can you use these blessings or challenges or circumstances in my life for your glory and for your kingdom and for your purpose? The same thing's true in our life. We, we've had experience, we have experiences and, and, and scars and uh, life circumstances that, that God wants to use to point us to him and to help us allow others to be pointed to him. But Solomon's approach is what will please me and what will help me succeed. And so he misses it. And that's why he continues and he says, then I said in my heart, this is, this is vanity. Here it is again, negative Solomon, for there's no remembrance of the wise and the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. How does the wise man die? As the fool under the sun. Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. And it's amazing that Solomon just lists off thing after thing after thing after thing that that says, look what I've done, and he says, now he gets to this place where he's like, I hate life. Solomon, you had a pretty good life, but he hates it because he's lived for it, and he's realizing that it will one day be gone, and so he says, it's vanity, it's grasping for the wind, and so what's the point? The point he's making is, under the sun, life won't pay out, and he's heavy, and we know that There's no end to this continual search for more. And we can try, but we know the only true end is fulfillment in Christ. But Solomon missed it. And sometimes we do too. And if you won't take Solomon's word for it, maybe you'll take some other greats of the day. Think of Tom Brady. I know that's a sensitive topic here. But Peyton Manning didn't say something so crazy, so I have to use Tom Brady. One of the greats, no doubt, supermodel wife, multiple championships. And in an interview after one of his championships... They said, what's next? And Tom Brady says, there just has to be something more. There just has to be something more. He's searching. Marilyn Monroe, one of the uh, Hollywood's uh, biggest icons, at the end of her life, ended her life because she was missing something more. Frank Sinatra, someone who brought joy and life to, to many, will actually indicate that his life was miserable. His kids will indicate that his, their, he was kind of withdrawn most of the time. His daughter will indicate that his, her father suffered from mood swings and depression. And he was on his second marriage and in that time tried to commit suicide multiple times. Why? Because he was, he was miserable. 
You know what Rockefeller's known for? Money, not happiness. He's actually known as a pretty miserable person, famously saying just one more dollar. You know what Bill Gates is known for? It's not a happy marriage. You know what Eddie Murphy's known for? It's not being a good dad. You know what Jennifer Aniston's known for? It's not being a good daughter. Why? Because things don't bring true fulfillment. Only Christ can do that. And yet this thrill is so enticing to us, right? It's just enticing. The more I can get, the more I can gain. And we can enjoy it to the glory of God, but we can't live for it. Did you know that there are more malls in America than there are high schools? Did you know that uh, out of the world population of kids, children, America makes up 3.1% of the world population of kids, but they hold over 40% of the toys. And that's, what, what, what are we saying? There's a lot to be thankful for, but when you live for it, it will never fill you. It will never actually fill you. That's why Jesus says, he said to them in Luke 12, 15, take heed and be on guard against covetousness because one's life does not consist of the abundance of, that, uh, of the things that he possesses because it won't fill you. And our success and pleasure alone will fade, but, but God will not. And so the, for a believer, we don't have to live for the pleasures of life, but we can live for the promises of God. As, as 1 Corinthians says, those who labor in the Lord don't labor in vain. And so what do we do? If pleasures won't make us happy, if success won't make us happy, you want something that gives you purpose, uh, follow the Lord. Labor in the Lord because that will never return void. God through us and, and God in us can far out accomplish anything that we could ever do in of ourselves. And the last thing is this, and we're almost done. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> we're, we're, it's the last point. I'm always short-winded, so, you know, we'll be all right. Verse 18 I want you to see his experience and legacy. I'm trying not to be as negative, so I'm trying to speed through the ne negativity of Ecclesiastes and give you something, something encouraging. Solomon finds uh, pleasures, it just doesn't cut it. When, that, when you live in that light, in the proper context, to the glory of God, success in the proper context, to the glory of God. But now he looks at his legacy. He says this in verse 18, Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to a man who will come after me. God, of course, created work as a good thing, and Solomon views it as a bad thing because he views it as his own personal gain. And so he continues, I hated all my labor in which I toil under the sun, because I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he be wise or fool, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled, in which I've shown myself wise under the sun. This is vanity, and therefore I turn my heart and I despaired. He says you can't take, uh, you can't keep what you earn, and you have to turn it over to someone who will probably abuse it. Someone once said this, money can take you anywhere except heaven. It can get anything for you except happiness, but the two things you'll want in life at the end of your life is to be happy and to have hope, and that can be only found through Jesus. And he missed it. And so he's coming to a conclusion that his legacy would not be what he thought it would be, and there's two reasons. The first reason is this, because he couldn't protect what he had. 
Because he says this, I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And it was bad enough that he had to leave it, but it, what really hit him was who he was leaving it to. And he, said, he spent some time talking very negatively about who he's leaving it to and who's he leaving it to. Rehoboam, his own son. That's so counter-cultural from America. Like we think I need to have an inheritance for my kids and I need to prepare my kids and help my kids. And, and Solomon's like, this guy's a bum. I don't want to leave it to him. And he can't protect it, what, he, what he held because he lives his life for himself, uh, not for what God wanted him to live. And so that what, what we really see is that Solomon failed in what really mattered. He failed to protect what he, could, what he had, but what he, how he really failed is he failed in, in what truly mattered. Because he says this, there's a man whose labor is in wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. And this is a great, and this is vanity and a great evil. This isn't fair. This seems unjust that this would happen. And all the wisdom knowledge and skill and possessions that Solomon had attained would fade away with him because he failed in what truly mattered. Proverbs will say a good name lives on, but for Solomon it would not because Solomon lived for a name uh, today, not a name that would live on. Wisdom's always a good thing, but, but true wisdom is one that will uh, point, be pointed for the glory of God. And what can I do for the glory of God? And, and a true good name is one that lives on for the glory of God. But what, what Solomon wanted, he wanted a good name, but he wanted the glory for it. And so his, his legacy would feel like it was, it was ruined. Did you know that Solomon, as 700 wives and 300 concubines, has one son named in the Bible, Rehoboam, who was a fool. And the wisest man who ever lived raised a fool because he fell in what really mattered. You know, first statistics will tell us that 60% of those who uh, live off an inheritance will waste it in two years. Isn't that crazy? And there's no, there's no shame in providing and, and setting things up, but what Solomon's getting at is don't live for it. Don't just speak truth, live it out too. There, there, there's other things that simply matters because he may have spoken wisdom, but he lived as a fool, and that's what Rehoboam followed. In 1 Kings, now I'm almost done. In 1 Kings, God is angry with Solomon because he turns his heart away to other gods. And so God comes to him, and it's going to be up on the screen. You can turn there if you want, 1 Kings 11, verse 11. God comes to Solomon, and this is what he says. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this, you've rebelled against me, you've turned your heart against me, you've created high places for your wives, and you yourselves have, have worshipped there. You've not kept my covenant, my statues, which I've commanded you. So surely I will tear away the kingdom from you and I'll give it to your servant. Verse 12. Nevertheless, I won't do this in your day, not because you're a good person and I'm scared of you, but because of your servant, my servant, your father, David. I will tear it out of your son's hand, which is Rehoboam. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. The reality is this. There was a promise of judgment coming long before Rehoboam ever took control. It's because his son, I mean, it's because Solomon failed in what actually mattered. That's heavy. That, that's a sad 
reality because Rehoboam would take control, fail to take wisdom. He would uh, reject Solomon's elders. And in chapter, he would take control in chapter 12 of 1 Kings. And in chapter 14, an army would come in and destroy and take everything that Solomon has lived his life to attain. And it would be worthless because why? Because he failed in what really mattered. He had, he had, he had, he had. He left his son with great riches and wealth, but it would be gone because he failed in what truly mattered. And Rehoboam rejected the wisdom, but Rehoboam let him off the hook a little bit because he was simply following the testimony of his father. He failed in what truly mattered. And it makes me wonder, are we as Christians in such a pursuit of pleasure that we too are hindering the gospel influence to reach through our lives? That we're so much about us that we miss Christ through us because of the abundance of things that we need and the pleasures that we need to achieve. And so today, I'm not saying inheritance is bad. So waste all of it. Don't leave nothing for your kids. Dad, if you're watching, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this, don't live for it. Don't live for it. There, there are other things that Solomon missed as he lived his life simply to achieve, and his son will be wasted, and his kingdom will be ruined because Solomon failed to lead in what truly mattered. And so notice verse 23 through 25, and we'll be done. For all the days of his, all, all his days are sorrowful, and his work burdensome, and even at night his heart takes no rest. This is vanity. He's not happy. As a man who has experienced it all, is empty. But he comes to this conclusion. Nothing is better than for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy the good of his labor. This is a good thing. Like, eat, drink, be merry. This is a good thing. God has given to it. He even says this. This also I saw was from the very hand of God. God has given us the ability through his glory and in the right context to eat, drink, and be merry. God wants us to have pleasures. God wants us maybe to even to be successful. God wants us to leave a good legacy. All these things. We can do these things for his glory. Solomon just did not. And so he says, uh, who can eat and who can in, uh, have enjoyment more than I? Nobody can in the context of under the sun. For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. It's a gift of God. But to a sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting and making it feel like you have something that he may give to him who is good before God. And he says, hey, this is the end of result. It seems injustice here, Solomon, that you have to give it to your son. At the end of the day, those that live apart from God, this is your result. It's vanity. You did it for nothing. It's grasping for the wind. And Solomon ends a pretty negative chapter of what it would appear in a positive light, that, that life can be enjoyed, that, we can, uh, that life can be enjoyed, that we can eat, drink, and be happy because the blessings that God has bestowed upon us is that we can actually enjoy life and that we should enjoy life to the glory of God, for the purpose of God, and in the right context in which God has given to us to observe. And we see those things, but the key is found in the text. The key is it's from the hand of God. That what we have is from the hand of God, and so be content. And Solomon was not. He was not content in the things that he had. That's why he simply had to keep getting more and keep achieving more because he never reached that place of, Lord, this is from your hand, and there I'm going to be content. And he missed it. And so this morning, I thank God that we can, we can meet 
that we can assemble to the glory of God, that we can go home and we can eat lunch to the glory of God, that we can take a nap to the, to the glory of God, that we can wake up for, for work tomorrow to the glory of God, that we can swing a golf club to the glory of God, you can go shopping this week for the glory of God, and you can do all things, enjoy pleasures, uh, all things for the glory of God, for the purpose of God in the right context in which God has given us. And that's what we find. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I've, I've experienced that brokenness and it's real. And I'm still experiencing that brokenness. And the reality is, you will continue to experience that brokenness and emptiness apart from God. And because of the curse of man called brokenness of sin, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so brokenness is real. And you say, man, I feel that. I, I fell into this search for more, and I'm trying this, and doesn't do it. Go to this job, it doesn't do it, so I switch this job. I go to this relationship, and this relationship. I, I've been there, and I'm empty, and it's because uh, all men are empty, and apart from God, all men are broken, and so that's why Jesus came. And the whole Bible is God's redemptive story for man because we're fallen, we're broken. And God says, hey, he loves you, which is why he sent Jesus. To come, to pave the way, to die. That John says, for God loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes cannot be broken anymore, but can have life and life more abundantly through a relationship with Jesus. And you can be fulfilled, you can be cleansed, you can be full. How? Through Jesus. You don't have to be broken, you don't have to live broken, live hopeless, but you can have hope through a relationship with him. And if you don't know him, the Bible says, what do you have to do? Believe. As simple as that, believe and receive, and you can have hope, and you can be full. Before believer, what's the takeaways? There's a lot in chapter 2. Take your pick, but I'll give you three, and we'll be done. The key to pleasure is to enjoy them in the proper context and do all things for his glory. Ask yourself questions. Why do I do what I do? Is this for me, or is this to bring glory to God? Secondly, success isn't in what you do, but it's in how you live. It's in Christ in you and Christ through you. And then thirdly, you want to leave a legacy? Why don't you follow Jesus? You want to leave a true legacy? Why don't you follow Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know there's a lot of information in chapter 2 and spoke maybe a little fast. I was trying to get through. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us. Even go back and read through Ecclesiastes chapter 2 to get truth for ourselves. But Lord, I pray that you'll be with us, that there's a fight. No matter if you're a child, a college student, no matter if you're an adult, a career, a family, single, or, or, or elderly, there's a pull for, for our heart. There's a pull for pleasures. There's a pull for I have to be successful. There's a pull for I have to leave a legacy. And Lord, may we understand and may we comprehend and live this week that Lord, no, no, no. What I have to do is be fulfilled in you. What I have to do is live my life fixated on you. And Lord, may I live my life for your glory. Uh, may it be Christ in me and Christ through me. And Lord, may I take a step this week to leave a legacy not of myself, but of you. Lord, help me follow you. As Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. May that be our prayer this morning. And Lord, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.